You're listening to Broadview Church Sermon Audio. For more information or to donate to this ministry, go to broadviewchurch.ca. again. Uh, two months ago, I brought some bread to this table, and I, I don't think I cut it. I think I buttered it, I put some jam on it, and I just ate, and we just sat silent, and you just heard some... It was a lot of fun, but... We talked about the significance of the table, and I just wanted to remind us of that this morning. Today we get to partake in communion. We get to celebrate the table itself, but we also, uh, in what we're looking at, the passage we're looking at, we're going to be looking at a table once again. At the beginning of September, I shared about the significance of the the table of David and how David brought this man, Mephibosheth, a man who was lame in both feet and an enemy to King David. He brought him to the table all the same, to the king's table, to David's table himself. There was a significance about the invitation that he, even though he was lame in both feet and an enemy, he was invited all the same to the table. And in the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to be seeing something similar. There is a significance in the table. There's a significance that we all as Christians have been invited to the table all the same, but we're going to see something else. We're going to see another warning, another instruction specifically by Jesus about the table that we have been invited to, the table into eternity, into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We're going to see what it looks like, not only in what it looks like to respond to this invitation, but how we come as citizens of the kingdom fit for a king at his table. So if you would turn with your Bibles with me into Matthew 22. This is where we're going to be looking uh, at this story today, the story of the table. Now, this story of the table is a parable that Jesus gives. He gives a parable of this this table, the wedding feast, where this king invites people to a feast for his son who is being wed. And this is a picture of what God has given to us. God has invited us to his eternal table, to, to heaven, to eternal life with him. And that's because of what Jesus did through dying on the cross and being the, uh, the groom as we as a church are the bride. He has brought that in together. And this, what Jesus is sharing is this celebration. But there are warnings in this celebration, warnings of this parable. And this isn't the first warning. Uh, in this chapter, uh, at this time, Jesus had been in ministry for three years already. He is near the end where he goes to the cross. He pays the price so that we can be invited. But he is right before going there. He actually just came into Jerusalem, literally known as the king to all. He came on a cold, fulfilling a prophecy where everybody knew he was proclaiming something different, that he was the king that is to come. Not only that, when he came, he came and he challenged the religious elites, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the people that were high and had a huge prestige in Jerusalem. He challenged them. He came to the temple and cleared all the commerce that was going where people were trying to make their own gain. He cleared everything for the temple and he made it a place 
where there would just simply be the presence of the king, the presence of God. And then he taught these parables over and over again. You can read these, I think, from Matthew 18 through 25, where Jesus teaches these parables of the kingdom of heaven. And this parable is set right in the center. And he teaches them to challenge the religious elites, like I said. And we get a hint of this right before this parable. If you look at the verse right before, or a couple verses before, Matthew 21, verse 43, this is what it says. It says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from them, from the Israelites, and given to a people that produce its fruits, fruits of the kingdom of heaven. This is the warning that Jesus is giving, and this is the warning that we are given as we get into this parable of the wedding feast, where we see what we might have to do to become fit for a king, fit for when we come before his table in the end. So would you read with me this, this chapter, this, uh, this parable? This starts in verse 1 and goes through verse 14. This is what it says. So Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to summon those who had been invited to the banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, the feast I have prepared for you is ready. My oxen are fattened. My cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But they were indifferent and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his slaves, insolently mistreated them, and killed them. The king was furious. He sent his soldiers and put those murders to death and set the city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding feast is ready, but the ones who had been invited were not worthy. So go out into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And those slaves went out into the streets, gathered all they found, both bad and good. And they... And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the wedding guests, he saw a man who was now wearing wedding clothes. He said to him, Friend, how do you get in here without wedding clothes? But he had nothing to say. Then the king said to his attendants, Tie him up, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So this is a parable we see where there is a banquet, there is a feast, and the king is celebrating the wedding of his son. And he invited people to this wedding. We see even before that uh, this kind of story begins, this parable, that people were already invited. And, and in this parable, we see the invitation to this feast, and we, there's kind of two different invitations that are given, two sets of invitations that are given. And this gives us a picture of what we have been in, invited to into eternal life with God through the good news of Jesus. So as we look at these invitations, we see two different responses. So let's see what the first response is from the first invitation that Jesus gives. And this comes in the first set, section of verses, verses 1 through 8. So in this section, we see that the king has already invited people. 
People have been invited. The invitation had already gone out. And in this culture, this was very common that when a big event was coming, whether a wedding or especially for kings, uh, for them to get people from the ends of their realm, they sent out an invitation months in advance. And this was already given out even before he mentions the invitations in the parable. But then right before the event comes, another invitation is given to tell the people that are invited, hey, come, it is ready. And this is the first invitation we see. But when the king sends it out, there is no response. So he is urgent. He knows that everything is ready. And he sends out a second invitation urging the guests that knew they were invited to come. But the response is all the same. This makes me think of times when I've hosted or I've been a guest uh, when people have hosted events, whether Thanksgiving, whether uh, Christmas events or other things like that. I, personally, I love to host people. I love, as you can see, I love making sourdough for people. That's something I'm passionate about. I love making good, delicious dishes, whether turkey, whether uh, these just complex recipes. I love baking things. I love hosting people. I love giving them that opportunity just to be my guest and let me do all the work. I love serving people in that way. But, what, but when you're a host, and I trust that you've had this at times, whether you've hosted just uh, another family in your home or you've hosted your family for, uh, for Thanksgiving or something of that sort, it, when you make all this food, when you spend hours and hours perfecting that turkey so it's moist but not too moist, when you spend all that time making that homemade or maybe the, the packaged stuffing or and so on and so forth, after you do all this food, as soon as it's ready, the expectation, the ex expectation of the host is as soon as it's ready for everyone to rush to the table so that they can honor what you've made so it doesn't get cold. Because when it gets cold, you know, it's not as good, right? And you kind of feel a little hurt. At least I feel hurt as a host. And I feel that way now, but when I was young, I remember when I uh, was at Thanksgiving or Christmas with my, my extended family, we were always at my grandparents' house, and me and my cousins, we loved to play games and just connect in that way, whether it was video games or board games. We were always downstairs in my parents' basement just playing games. And eventually, of course, the food was ready, and the food was all prepared, that, that again, perfect turkey, the ham, my uh, aunt's famous punch that we had every time, and it was delicious. And then my grandma's very, very, very famous potato salad. The, everything was ready. But when me and my cousins come, no, we were so focused on our game. Whether we were playing Monopoly and you couldn't lose your advantage because if, if you leave, you might lose a property because you know it's, it's that competitive. And after a call, we wouldn't come. A second call would come. And eventually, either my mom or one of my aunts would come down the stairs with fury and get us up to the feast. Do you guys feel that frustration? Parents, I trust you felt this frustration, maybe even this week, trying to get your kids to the table. There's a frustration. And, and students, you've probably seen this from the other side. You've seen that fury. There's a frustration when you invite people, but they don't come to the table. They don't honor what you have made in a sense, by coming as quick. They don't value what you have made. There, there's a feeling of that. I, I feel that's what the king feels in this story, that he invited people. He let them know far beforehand they didn't come. He reminded they still didn't come, reminded again, and they were not there.
The frustration of the king must have been immense. He sent slaves and they, they didn't come. There was a lack of value that they had for the invitation. After a little while, eventually he said, come, come to the wedding banquet. And this was their response, verse four. But they were indifferent and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his slaves, insolently mistreated them, and killed them. The invitation to the feast of a king was given over and over and over, but the response was the same. And this response came in two ways. We see two levels of it. I really like how the New English translation says this. It says that the first response, that when they responded, they responded with indifference to the invitation. One went to his farm, another went to his business. And this, isn't this how many people respond to the gospel today, to Jesus today? Many in North America acknowledge that in some way that there's a higher power up there. They believe that they are theists in a way where they know that there is a God, but God is distant. We don't have to worry about them until the end, until we come on our deathbed and are in need of Him. They are indifferent to the relationship we have with God. If anything, they might pray once in a while in their time of need. That's how many in North America believe in God, and they label themselves as Christians all the same. Yet I would go so far to say that this is even true of many people in the Church of North America, and yes, I think this is true of people in our church as well. That we've been invited to a relationship with Jesus, with God, and we've been invited to eternity with Him. Yet many in the church, I believe, after receiving the invitation, we take it, we understand, and we think that just receiving it, that that is all that entails to, to taking it in and valuing it that we can take it in, we can leave it, put it on our nightstand, put it on our desk, put it on our fridge, and, and leave it until the time comes where we actually have to do something with it. We think that all, so what matters with this invitation, that if a day goes by and we forget about it, you know what, that's okay. A month, that's okay. A year, even more. And we hope that in the end that we actually remember that we've been invited to something for when it might actually mean something a little more to us than when we first responded to this invitation. This is how I feel many in North America have responded to the gospel. We see this not, we don't see this with our hearts because that's something internal. We see it with our actions all the same. And this is what this parable teaches us. We see that how people responded. They didn't respond by, um, by uh, showing something of an attitude. They responded with what they did. One went to his farm. One went to uh, his work, his business. And like many wedding invitations, we may put them down ourselves. We may forget about them, and our lives can get filled with other things. And this is true with our invitation to eternal life as well. We get busy with work, with school. We get busy with things that just come 
up each and every day. We get busy with our priorities, the things we prioritize, even though the thing that we need to prioritize above everything is the invitation that we have given, been given to a life with Jesus. It's in what we do each and every day, how we respond, that reflects how much we value this invitation to a relationship with God. Many outside the church as well as inside respond to this invitation with God with indifference that it might matter, but it, is, it doesn't matter to us now. There are other priorities. Is this how we should respond? Though I would argue this is what, how many respond today. Here in this parable, we see the response of this is what Jesus was pointing out to what was happening in the Jews of his day. People in Israel were responding this way. They were indifferent. Not only that, they also acted in opposition. They were killing those who were sending the message. The priests and the prophets that had proclaimed this for hundreds of years, they killed them. They were indifferent and in opposition to this message And for each of these responses, whether it was indifference or whether it was opposition, we see the same response from the king at the end. In verse 7, it says that the king was furious. He sent his soldiers and they put those murders of his servants to death and set the city on fire. Whether it was the people that murdered the servants or the citizens of the city that were invited They both were met with the same justice. They were judged in the end all the same. This is the warning that Jesus was giving the religious elites in his day, but it's the same warning that we need to understand as well. But this is even more emphasized with the invitation that comes second in this parable because this is the one that is specifically given to you and given to me. So let's read uh, the second invitation, starting in verse 8. This is what it says. So after he had invited the the first, sent out the first invitation, the king said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but the ones who have been invited were not worthy. So go out into the main streets, invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And those slaves went out to the streets and gathered all they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the wedding guests, he saw a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? But he had nothing to say. The man had nothing to say. Then the king said to his attendants, Tie him hand and foot. Throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The second invitation is the one that we see in the story of Mephibosheth. And we see is true for all of us today. This invitation was given to every single citizen in his kingdom that could hear. Whether... Whatever their background, whatever their reputation, whether they did bad things or good things, whether they were sinful or they were good citizens, they were all invited to the table of a king. Think about how valuable this invitation is. And all of them responded, at least we can see from this, that the wedding hall was filled. They responded justly. They came. Think of what would happen if you were invited by the Queen of England to go to uh, the palace for a meal. Would you 
dilly-dally on the project that you were working at work or fixing the tractor. You know, there was one thing, I have to do this first. No, if it's an invitation from someone like a queen, you better go as soon as you can. And this is how most of the people responded. They responded as quick as they could, and they went. But we see that there is one person that is pointed out that even though they respond with presence, they respond poorly all the same. This is a warning that I feel that Jesus gives us. We've all been given this invitation to eternal life with Jesus. But do we come to him fit for a king? Let's see what this says. Again, this man, when he came to the presence, when he came to the feast, he came not clothed in wedding clothes. And there's a debate with this. Uh, There's a debate among theologians that I just want to mention for a moment. Uh, In this day, there were people uh, that had wedding clothes ready. They were always ready for a wedding or some event like this. Regardless of who you were, how poor you were, for the most part, most people had wedding clothes. Just think of it today as well. That's true of many people today. Most people have clothes ready for if they go to an event, whether graduation or a wedding or something like that, like that, they are ready to go dressed up with a little something more. That's for the most part. Weddings are getting a little bit more casual, I find today, but for the most part, that is true all the same. Uh, but So either in this day, uh, most people had wedding clothes, but if they didn't, if they absolutely couldn't afford it, Another practice that was done in this day was the host would actually have spare garments. So if people came not ready for the banquet, they were given wedding clothes. But there's something in this response for this person, regardless of which, whether he had wedding clothes ready or he rejected the wedding clothes, he, we see something in his response of this person that wasn't ready to be in front of the king. And, and you get a little touch of it with this. Um, think about weddings today. Again, there, in weddings, like I said, there's uh, most of the time weddings are more casual. You can wear almost whatever, uh, but if it's a bit more fanciful wedding, if they ask for you to wear something uh, formal or semi-formal, then you should come like that. But there are definitely things that you should not wear when you go to a wedding. Ladies, please help me out with one. What is one thing, ladies, that you should absolutely not wear to a wedding? White dress, yes. So here's a picture um, coming up. This is, let me give you a little story online. And this is a picture of a bride at her wedding. And just next to her, you can guess which one is which. Next to her is her mother-in-law in her wedding dress as well. Think about how would you feel as a Bride. Again, I got married not too long ago. If my mom came into our wedding wearing her wedding dress, I know Beth would have, she might not have words for it. I don't know what she would describe. My mother didn't do that because she knows better. Because there is a certain level of indifference, of arrogance, of opposition that you would have if you come wearing a wedding dress to a wedding or even just wearing white as a lady. We see this kind of pride and indifference in this man's response. And whether he came uh, and didn't wear wedding clothes, didn't come fit with the wedding clothes he had, or if he rejected the clothes that were given him by the host in this parable. Either or, we see this pride given. And the clothes, 
for those that interpret the door, people view these clothes as the clothes that Christ gives us, which is 100% true. But regardless of where this man could have worn his wedding clothes from, where they came to the value of what he had been invited to, and a level of pride, his own priorities that was over, that he put over the kings that we see in this parable. And his, what he was, how he was judged was the same as what we saw in the first invitation. He was judged strongly for what he had done. In this parable, both invitations reveal a negative response to the invitation to the king's table. In both, there was a response of pride, of opposition, of indifference to the invitation. They didn't value what they were invited to. Though they knew it was to the table of a king, they didn't respond with the true value of what it would be to be in the presence of a king and at the table of a king. They didn't value the honor that it would have. Whether it was because of, out of personal interest where they went focused on their work, focused on what they had at hand, or because of their personal priorities, wearing what they wanted over what the king would expect. The warning is the same. This is the warning that Jesus gives to all who listen to this parable. For those who truly listen to this parable, the warning is this. We need to truly recognize what we have been invited to through Jesus, in Jesus. And we need to respond likewise. So how do we respond to the invitation of a king, to the invitation we have to the king's table, to God's table in eternal life with him? The first thing I would say that we need to do is recognize the value of the invitation. And that means recognizing the value of what was paid for uh, us to come to the table. We need to recognize the cost of the invitation. And this means recognizing the cost of the blood of Christ. This is something most people, I would say, recognize to an extent. But do we fully recognize the value of uh, the weight of what Jesus has done in shedding his blood for us. I would argue often today we actually minimize it, and I'm not the only one who feels that. In uh, his writings, the famous theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer described a thing of cheap grace, that it's by our actions that we recognize how much we value what Jesus paid for us on the cross, that if we live in a way where we uh, don't follow him justly, we don't live uh, for him, that we actually belittle the grace and therefore belittle the cost that he did. We cheapen the act of the cross, and in a way we blaspheme it by making it lesser than what actually it should be. We do that with our actions. If we understand what Jesus has done, but we do nothing from it, if we just live like usual, then like those invited to the table who went to their work, who went to the farm, who lived in dare, uh, indifferent and arrogant, focusing on other things, we act towards the cost of what Jesus paid with indifference. 
So we need to fully recognize the invitation that we have been given to the table of the king. It's the table of the king. There is something more to us, something of the greatest value. We must recognize it fully and with full value towards it. So how do we value the invitation to the table? I would argue that Jesus actually shares this in the parable, specifically in the second half of the parable, where he shares this man that who is not clothed ready for a king. Jesus, when we come before him, when we are baptized in him, we are baptized in him. And Galatians says, we are clothed with him, clothed in Christ. That's the first thing we have to recognize is Jesus actually covers us. And before God, we are seen as holy in him. We need to value the clothes we are given. But not only that, we see in scripture that we actually have to not only understand how God sees us, we have to act as we as the, in honor of the clothes that we wear. And scripture hints at this in so many different ways. The first hint that I want to share is one that I've already shared already. In the verse that I shared before, right before this parable, we see a first hint of what these clothes look like that we need to embrace all the more. In Matthew 21, 43, it says that the kingdom of God will be taken away from the Israelites and given to a people that produce its fruits. It's what they do, the fruits that they express that actually shows that they are worthy of the kingdom. They actually value the kingdom, the invitation that they had been given by living it and, proclaim, and giving fruit off of what they've done. Jude says something similar, at least in contrast to this. In Jude 17 through 23, he says, But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends... By building yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord, Jesus Christ, to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Again, there is clothes that we do not wear that we see in this, in this, in this uh, passage by Jude. But we also see what we actually need to wear, embrace more and more as we enter the last days. And this is what Peter warns in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. This is what he says. He says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, as he talks about the last days, he says, what kind of people ought you to be you ought to be living, to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in its heat. Like I've said before, Paul hints at this in so many ways in Galatians 3.27 that we need to be clothed in Christ and elsewhere that we need to imitate Christ's likeness. The clothes to be, to come to the table, to value the invitation, be fit for a king. We have to become more and more clothed in Christ, living holy and godly lives, living as Jesus, as he demonstrates in the gospels, as he demonstrates throughout his whole world 
word. We have to value what He has given us by embracing Him more and more and more each and every day. This means pursuing godliness and holiness so that we fully reflect Jesus in all aspects of our lives, fully recognizing the invitation we have into the eternal presence of God. Does this mean that we have to be perfectly like Christ to enter the kingdom of heaven? No. But I would argue that we actually need to pursue such a perfection to fully honor and value what we have been invited to. Not that we have to be perfect, but we need to pursue it. This is what theologians call sanctification, that we actually pursue the perfection of Christ in our lives to honor and value what we have first received in him. We see this evident in Ephesians 2 as well. So how do we recognize the invitation to the table? We live imitating him in all aspects of our lives, living like Jesus. So when the kingdom comes, when eternal life is brought to us, when he comes again with fire, that we are ready. And when he comes, that the words in Matthew 25 uh, that we hear so often will become true, that when God says to us, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It was ready since the beginning. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited, invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. Then the citizens of the kingdom will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king? The king will answer, just as you do for the least of these, so you do for me. To recognize and fully value the invitation that you have, that I have to eternal life, we have to live with full value in all aspects of our lives. We have to fully value it by imitating Christ in all that we are, not just on the day on our deathbed, but in each and every day. We have to become more and more clothed in who Christ is, embrace what he has given us, so that others can know what they have been invited to. We need to live in pursuit of becoming citizens of the kingdom more than expecting simply for the kingdom to come owed to us. This is how we recognize the invitation. This is how we become fit for a king. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for all who you are, all you have called us to be. As we come around your table, Lord, and we celebrate what you have invited us to, Lord, may you open our eyes. May you open our hearts. Spirit, unleash your love to us. Unleash 
your knowledge so that we can actually fully value what you've given, what you have taken us away from, the, the judgment of our sin, and you have brought us closer to your eternal presence. As each and every day unfolds, Lord, where we draw closer to, to your second coming, to you, Lord, let us value you that much more. I pray this all in your holy name, Lord. Amen.